I still think we're looking at auditions for the bullpen. Here are the guys we know. We know Edwin Diaz is obviously going to be the closer and get probably more than three outs on most nights. We know Adam Adovino is your second most reliable arm and will be asked to get big outs specifically in the seventh or eighth inning. And I think Seth Lugo's been solid. That would be the way I describe it. Uh, Seth Lugo's been relatively solid. The rest of it's an open audition. I mean, Trevor Williams, your long man. You get into trouble early in a game. We know about Trevor Williams, and he gave a great answer on the Met pregame when Steve Gelbs was asking him about how he's adjusted. And Williams looks, you know, deadpan. He's like, well, I drink a lot less or something like that. Made me laugh. He's got a good personality. Should do stand-up next time Pete Alonso has a, uh, has a comedy event. But they go out. They win the Saturday night game. And then we've got this finale with Jacob DeGrom on the mound. And... Sometimes you have to admit when you're wrong. And I'm going to admit where I'm wrong, or at least where I'm concerned moving forward. Jacob DeGrom was pushed on Sunday afternoon to get through the sixth inning. His pitch count was very, very high. It had a lot to do with the first inning where he threw, what was it, 25 pitches in the first inning. He gave up that leadoff double and then goes out and strikes out the side. But it wasn't easy. It wasn't bing, 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 strikeout, bing, 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 strikeout. A lot of foul balls. He had to battle. And so DeGrom, because he was striking so many guys out, which is a good thing. No one's complaining about that. I needed every one of those strikeouts in my fantasy week, though it turned out to be too little too late. I lost. Jake did everything he could. I don't blame him. His pitch count started really, really exploding. And through five innings, he has struck out 13 guys He'd allowed one base hit. He had retired everybody consecutively prior to that leadoff double he gave up to O'Neill Cruz. But his pitch count was very, very high. And I'm not suggesting Jake should have come out after five innings. You heard me a couple days ago on the Rico. I wanted to push him in the middle game of that series against the Chicago Cubs. Because, hey, you got to push him now. When are you going to push him? Well, Buck pushed him. And Jacob DeGrom gave us the answer. Right now, when he throws more than 90, 95 pitches, he's lost his effectiveness. We've seen it. We didn't see it in the Cubs series because they pulled him. But we've also seen him in other performances. I think the Rocky game jumps out at me from a few weeks ago where the deeper he is into a game, the more pitches he's thrown, the more human he becomes. Now, the second hit he gave up in that inning was a bloop. But then finally, he's battling, he's battling, he's battling. And then O'Neill Cruz takes him deep. He gives up the three-run home run. And it looks like a pedestrian performance because he gave up th- three runs in five innings, which in general is not very good. You, but you can't ignore the 13 strikeouts and the no walks. But you see how it happened. I'm not criticizing Buck. I love that he left him in the game. But it means we all have to have a discussion. Because this is going to get really, really tricky, and it's going to get tricky real, real fast. When do you take this guy out? Because I was screaming and yelling, look, I am I own it. Beningo has to own it. He's always been screaming about pushing Jacob DeGrom. I want to push Jacob DeGrom. He's the best pitcher in baseball. For my money, he's the best pitcher in the sport. But we are seeing evidence that when he does get to 95, 98, 100 pitches. He ended up in this game at 101. So this was the first time he threw over 100 pitches. Joe was screaming for it. I was screaming for it in his last start. And look what we got. And so when they play the Atlanta Braves and Jacob DeGrom is on the mound and he just finished the sixth inning 
and he's at 96 pitches and he's dominating, what do you do? Do we go batter at a time? Say, all right, let's let's push Jake, but we're going to do it slowly. So, for example, forget the inning, because I think sometimes we get enamored by, but it's only the sixth inning. Jake's thrown over 90 pitches. He gives up a leadoff hit. Should we take him out there? Nah, we'll give him another batter. Gives up a blue hit. Here comes O'Neill Cruz. Here comes the third time around the batting order. Cruz got him earlier for that double. Do you push him or do you take him out? And so I think as we move forward, it's going to be tricky. I love the guy. I think he's the best pitcher in the world, but we can't live in this world of he's got to throw eight innings, real aces pitch eight innings. We need effectiveness. And if Jacob DeGrom is going to be less effective when he's in the high 90s and is going to give up bombs of home runs, then maybe as crazy as it sounds, we are better off having Seth Lugo or Adam Adovino in the game. Well, listen, here, here's the way I look at it, right? I would not go with DeGrom if he allows one guy on base in that inning. If he leads off and the guy gets on base, you got to pull him right away. That's that's the way I look at it. Because I look at go back to the Matt Harvey situation in, in the World Series, Game 5. The, you're pumped up, you're amped up, you want him to be on the mound. You face him, you give him too, too many batters, right? And in that scenario, if it's going to be, it, it might, I'd only give him one. Only give him allow one mistake. If that mistake is the first guy, if first guy, and you're gonna pull him, why even put him in that situation? Go well, right Jake, to the bullpen. That, that's the way I look at it. Said I think it was about three starts ago. I don't like starting innings. <clears throat> excuse me. That I know I can't finish. Now that was in response to a, a pitch count and a pitch limit. I don't think there should be a pitch count limit on Jacob Degrom necessarily more than it is. You don't want him out there when he's not effective. It's not about a magic number. And so I know all starts aren't created equal. His velocity was down in this start, not to the point of being scared. The guy struck out 13 guys. He got tons of swing and misses. He also had a lot of foul balls. But his velocity, whether it was his fastball or a slaughter, was down just a tick. Nothing overwhelmingly concerning, but it was down. I think every start is going to be different. You have to be careful in how you analyze it. But that's why Buck Showalter gets paid a lot of money. Because it's not as simple as, all right, he's at 95 pitches. All right, it's the sixth inning. Okay, take him out. But I think what we saw in this game on Sunday is that, and I I drink it, I own it, I drink the medicine, if you will, that it's not as easy as just push him. Just, just push him. Because look, we, we all want the best pitcher in baseball to go as deep as possible into a game, but you also don't want him to be less effective. And that's what happened in this game. Now, it sucks it's only the sixth inning. It sucks that Jacob DeGrom only pitched five innings. Look, I'd love for him to pitch seven or eight innings. I guess the negative was he was striking out so many guys. There were so many foul balls against him that the pitch count started going up, 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 up. And that obviously took away his effectiveness when he gives up base hits to the eight and nine hitters, Collins and DeLay, before Cruz hits that three-run bomb of a home run. He wasn't exactly giving up hits to sluggers. So... I'm not concerned about Jacob DeGrom. I don't want anyone to take it that way. It's more, it's a debate and a a conversation on how much you push him as, because he only has, you do the math, bro. He's got two more starts this season. That's it. I figured out what Buck was doing the other night. I got this rotation all figured out now. I laid out for all of you if you're curious. Because Buck won't tell us, but I figured out Buck. I did the math myself. I know the off days. And I think what he's doing is great, by the way, because what he's doing is he's taking away a controversy, something we sort of alluded to last time on the Rico, that becomes moot. 
What I brought. Do you remember ah, what that was off? I think I. I I think the biggest issue is one sixty two game one sixty two. Who's playing? Who's starting? Exactly. Game now I mentioned this uh, with Joe on Saturday. We talked about it on the Rico, and that was: Could you really start Jacob Degrom or Max Scherzer in Game One Sixty Two for the division championship? Because if God forbid you lose that game and you're in the wild card series, that guy won't be able to pitch unless it's short rest, right? So I kind of thought about it and leaned towards. Nah, you can't do it. You can't pitch him. You can't consider it because what if, what if you lose? And how could you possibly live with the fact that Jacob DeGrom or Max Scherzer wouldn't pitch in a wild card series? Now, King Vader DM'd me the other day with a very compelling point on why he would pitch a DeGrom or Scherzer in 162, which I'll read and then I'll explain why this whole discussion is irrelevant. But sometimes it's good to have a discussion and then realize none of this matters. I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, MoneyWise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcast. Evan, you definitely pitched to Grom or Scherzer to win the division. You treat it like a four-game series, and if you win the first game against a weaker team, you move on and can set your rotation for the following series. If they lose, then you have to win the next two out of three games, and if they still win that series, they're lined up to set their pitching up for the next series. If you're thinking they can lose to Washington with DeGrom, you could also love with DeGrom against the tough... You couldn't love DeGrom against the tougher team in game one of the playoffs. I don't necessarily agree with that logic, but I understand. Which is, hey, it's a gamble. I win, I've got them lined up. I lose, I still have them lined up for game one of the divisional series. But here's why it doesn't matter. If you notice the way things are lining up, and this is easier to do because there's so few games left in the season, and you assume there is no sixth starter, because why would there be? Max Scherzer is going to be activated to pitch Monday night in Milwaukee. So Max will pitch Monday. Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker will follow on Tuesday and Wednesday. There's an off day Thursday. Chris Bassett will take his turn Friday. Jacob DeGrom Saturday. Max Scherzer Sunday. Very easy. They have an off day Monday. They're going to follow their rotation. Why would they not? I don't think they're going to skip a Taiwan Walker or Carlos Carrasco. So they'll play two games against the Miami Marlins, and it would be Carlos Carrasco and Taiwan Walker with another off day. That gets us to Atlanta. And here's how it's lined up for the three games against the Braves. Game one, Chris Bassett. Game two, Jacob deGrom. Game three, Max Scherzer. So you've got your three best pitchers. I think we'd all agree with that. The three best pitchers are pitching in that series against the Braves. The order may not be the rankings, obviously. Chris Bassett's not the best best starter, but who cares? I mean, it really doesn't matter the order. It's just a three-game series. It's not best of five, best of seven. It's a three-game series. That leaves you for the Washington series with Carlos Carrasco, Taiwan Walker, and in game 162, if you so choose, Chris Bassett. So you're not using one of your aces in game 162, but you do have lined up 
a guy that you probably have a lot of faith in to pitch 162. So Buck has made our discussion irrelevant. What it also means is that Max Scherzer and Jacob DeGrom from this day forward have two more starts left in the regular season. Two. Scherzer against the Milwaukee Brewers, the Oakland A's. Actually, Scherzer has three. I should correct myself because he's coming back off the IL tomorrow. So Scherzer has three. The Brewers, the A's, the Braves. DeGrom has the A's and the Braves. And that's it. So we try to figure out, Jacob DeGrom, how much do you push him? How many innings can he go? He only has two more starts of the regular season. There ain't a big sample size for us to figure this out. So barring any changes, and I can't see other than injuries why Buck would change any of this, do you agree with that setup of having those three in that order against the Braves and then the three I mentioned, Carrasco, Walker, Bassett, for the final three games against Washington? If you're asking me, do I trust Chris Bassett game 162 against the Washington Nationals, I say yes. I 100% do. I think Bassett against has proven against most teams he could be that dominant guy who in most rotations would be a number two at the very least. And in this, in this situation, he's the number Are you three. upset that Buck has taken away this discussion? Like, we, we really can't have it anymore because it's, <laughs> it's gone now. No, because, listen, the pressure's still on. Like, And there's a lot of things that I'm still overthinking right now. And you're talking about, like, Game 162. Like, it's going to come down to the wire. I just went through it. it went through the uh, the final stretch between the Braves and the Mets. All right? And I looked at their schedules. And I look at the Mets and I say, I realistically could see the Mets winning 11 games. But I look at the Braves' schedule and I go, I can realistically see them winning 12 games. Which means that that would mean the Mets would win by one game. They'd have 100, I think, four wins, and the Braves would have 103. But that's like me, just like, that's just projections. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's going to come down to the wire. Yeah, it's, it's tough, man. I, I was looking at the Braves' schedule. Obviously, credit to Atlanta. They defeated the Philadelphia Phillies. By the way, they no one cares about this, so I'll make it brief. The Atlanta Braves effed <laughs> me as a Met fan and as a fantasy player. I lost my semifinal matchup, and one of the things that destroyed me was I had a guy in the bullpen implode, which can always affect your ERA and whip at a major level if you have one bullpen arm implode. And the guy I had implode was Sir Anthony Dominguez of the Philadelphia Phillies, who didn't just implode my fantasy team, imploded the Phillies' chances of stealing game one which i thought they were going to do they had a two run lead a two to one lead in the eighth inning i'm thinking ah this is great phillies are going to take game one this is tremendous and then the braves just destroyed dominguez he walked a bunch of guys he gave up a bunch of runs uh no one cares about my fantasy team but we as met fans care about the fact that the phillies missed their best opportunity to win a game this weekend i'm glad about one thing for the phillies if they're going to F us by not beating the Braves, I want them to miss the playoffs. I'm sorry. You don't get to choke against the Atlanta Braves. You don't get to spit the bit against the Atlanta Braves and still make the playoffs. Now, the problem we're running into, Met fans, is that the team that would have to catch the Phillies are the Brewers, a team that we better beat the crap out of this week. So uh i guess i hope the phillies make the playoffs only because it means that we'll have to have beaten the atlanta braves a bunch of times and we will have taken care of the milwaukee brewers but getting back to the Braves' schedule they've got six games with the washington nationals and that is look let me give the nats a little bit of credit they not only beat us two out of three as we all recall 
they went out and beat the Cardinals three out of four. And the Cardinals are a legit team. So I guess maybe it gives me a sliver of hope that the Nationals are showing some fight. They're not just completely rolling over. They've basically been a 500 team over the last 20-so games, which is not a huge sample size, but I'm looking for breadcrumbs here, Hoff. I'm looking for anything that would convince me the Nationals can win one freaking game against the Atlanta Braves. But look, to the Braves' credit, a part of why they're tied essentially with the Mets is they've destroyed bad teams. They've done a great job beating the teams they're supposed to beat. They've struggled against good teams, uh, which hopefully matters when the Mets play them again. But they've done a really good job of beating bad teams. They have the Nationals six times. They've got those games with the Philadelphia Phillies. And then obviously the showdown. And I look at it right now because the Mets have Milwaukee for three. The Brewers are a good team. And that first game is going to be tough with Corbin Burns on the mound. Scherzer off the IL. I assume there won't be too many restrictions on Max considering he only missed a couple of starts. And he had a rehab start. So I would think that Max will be able to go. Knock on Woody stays healthy. I mean, this is the second time he went on the IL. I'm going to be nervous, kind of like I've always been with Jake. Like, oh, is he all right? Uh, what was that grimace? Is he okay? How's he doing? Uh, but when you look at three with Milwaukee, three with Oakland, and you look at what Atlanta's doing in that same amount of time, three against Washington, four against Philadelphia. Dude, I'll tell you right now, bro. Get me to the Atlanta series tied. that's the way I'm looking at it now. And I know I mentioned about a week ago, the goal was to get there up one. And people were upset with that. Like, what do you mean up one? We should be up by three, up by four. Now that the Mets have completed the quote unquote easy part of their schedule and they didn't gain ground. They only went nine and seven. They didn't take advantage of the easy part of their schedule. And yes, the A's are bad and the Marlins are bad. So they're not done with the easy part of their schedule, but they're about to go play the Brewers. Like, let's not dismiss what the Brewers are capable of. You just saw what they are over the weekend against the New York Yankees. Now, they're not going to deal with Brandon Woodruff, who dominated, but they are going to deal with Corbin Burns. They are going to deal with that lineup. So I look at these the next week and a half getting to Atlanta. Get me there tied, and I'll take my chances that the Mets can go out there and win a series. Well, listen, you, you talk about the A's. They're, they're an easy part of the schedule, too, but they're really not, though, because we've seen – I don't want to compare it to the Yankees, but we saw the Yankees go out there and, and spit the bid on that too. Like, these bad teams may be bad on paper. They still have a little fight left in them. They're, they're trying to be spoilers. And if the Mets come out flat, traveling to the West Coast one last time, you just never know. And that that's a scary thing. It's like, I'd prefer just to be on the East Coast right now, play your division, win those games. That's all that matters. And they have a chunk of games left in the division, but... I, I don't like to travel these last two weeks, the, the last two seasons, the next two seasons. And just knowing Atlanta's ability to beat the crap out of bad teams, they may go 6-0 against the Nationals. You know, I'm, I'm hopeful that Washington puts up a fight, but you look at six against Washington, four against the Phillies. Ten games the Atlanta Braves are going to play before they take on the Mets. What are they doing in those ten games? Are they going 8-2? and two? Are they doing better than that? Are they doing worse than that? And look, the Mets are tied with the Braves. I don't want to hear the Mets are a game up. The Mets are not a game up. They're tied. You always have to look at the loss column because I assume the Braves are going to win the extra games. I met a guy recently who told me that he spends roughly $250,000 a month. I talked to another person recently who made $50 million at the age of 30. What do you do with that money? 
How do you spend it? How do you not spend it? What do you invest in? If you meet a rich person, these are questions everyone wants to know, but you're too embarrassed to ask. That's the whole premise of MoneyWise. We talk to real people who have made a significant amount of money, and we ask them all about their finances. My name's Sam Parr, and the podcast is called MoneyWise. That's one word, MoneyWise. You can find MoneyWise wherever you get your podcast.